WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 5 o'clock. Good morning. It is Wednesday, February 28th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center showers on and off throughout this day, high 59. Tonight and overnight, clouds, chance of more showers, but the temp falls to more winter-like uh, weather, low 39 tonight. And then Thursday, sun and clouds, the high just 44. If you are walking out the door with us right now, 52 in raining in Valhalla up in Westchester County, 57 in cloudy in my hometown of Trenton, New Jersey. And it is 50, and we'll call it misty here in Midtown. So much to get to as we work our way up. Six o'clock hour, Sid and friends in the morning. This primary season rolls on. Last night was the Michigan primary, but... All the fun of this has sort of been taken away from us by both Joe Biden and Donald Trump. They're both going to sail to easy victories. And as a reporter and as an anchor, you know, it was kind of fun the primary season back in the old days when there was lots of competitors. And that's fine if you're a fan of Donald Trump or Joe Biden. But it was more fun. You'd wake up to find out what the results were. You went to bed finding out what the results were. And it was competitive. But that's not the case now. So we'll go through the motions. Donald Trump, the winner of the Michigan primary last night. No surprise there. He easily defeated his main rival, Nikki Haley. Uh, Trump getting 68 percent of the vote to Haley's 26 percent. Here were some of the voters that were heading to the polls in Michigan yesterday. OK, let's see. Why is my audio not working? Hmm. Well, they're quiet, those uh, voters are. Haley has vowed to stay in the race, arguing both Trump and President Biden are unpopular among most Americans. President Biden, meanwhile, won the Michigan Democratic primary, but a significant number of voters cast an uncommitted ballot to protest his handling of the Israel-Hamas war. Now, they say most of these are Arab Americans living in Michigan, saying they put uh, Joe Biden over the top in 2020 in Michigan. And so they wanted to show that they could, uh, you know, do something to him during the primary. So they offered up and said that they were going to vote uncommitted because they were upset. They say that he has favored Israel too much in the Israel Gaza war. And so they tried to convince people to vote uncommitted. They wanted to get 10 percent of the vote because they say that's the percentage that they put Joe Biden over the top in 2020 in Michigan. And they actually got more than that last night. Biden got 80 percent of the vote, but 13 percent did vote uncommitted in this protest over how Biden has handled the war in Gaza. Now, it would be interesting how the play is out in the rest of the primary season. But as I've just described, it is a ho-hum, boring primary season because we kind of know who's going to win. Oh, there was somebody who dropped out of the race last night, Ryan Binkley. Now, you might say, no, I didn't even know there was a guy named Ryan Binkley in the race. He was. He was trying to win the Republican presidential nomination last night. He says he's out. It is time, and I believe it's God's will, that we move forward as a nation. We have to. The Texas pastor and businessman announced the end of his campaign 
on Twitter. He endorsed former President Trump. Binkley had been in the race, and who knew, since April of 2023, but never gained any traction, as the reason we didn't know much about him. Meanwhile, Senator Ted Cruz, the Texas senator, playing coy last night with his political future. He was asked at a town hall in Laredo if he would consider being Donald Trump's vice president. I'm not holding my breath. I... I, uh, I'm not anticipating President Trump making that call. You never want to squash that talk if you're a politician, you know, play coy. Cruz telling the crowd that he and the former president had a great working relationship when Trump was in the White House. Uh, he says they did a lot. They uh, they passed the largest tax cut in a generation. He says he could do a lot with Trump, uh, but he says he doesn't think he's going to be the best. I will tell you, when he was president, uh, I was the strongest ally in the Senate. And I worked hand in hand with them. And I'll tell you, I'm really proud of the policy victories that we won. We passed the biggest tax cut of a generation. It unleashed economic growth. Meanwhile, the White House tried to make hay out of this Donald Trump comment from last week for suggesting that Americans can uh, African-Americans can relate to him because of his multiple criminal indictments. The former president was in South Carolina late last week at an event for black conservatives and claimed that black people like him because they see him as being discriminated against. So the White House pushing back, saying that's racist. It is profane to compare the long, painful history of abuse and discrimination suffered by black Americans to something that is totally different than self-serving purposes. That's what we saw. White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre there also accusing Trump of trafficking in racist stereotypes. Of course, silly season when it comes to politics. Let's bring it back home. A Brooklyn federal court jury convicting two men, Ronald Washington and Carl Jordan, in the 2002 shooting death of Jason Mizell, of course, better known as Jam Master J of Run DMC. Found guilty yesterday. Here's the prosecutors who tried this case and took years to bring it to court. But today, today is justice for Mr. Mizell and his family. Yeah, so both men found guilty as charged. Jordan's mother says her son is innocent, being pegged with a crime that he did not commit. He had nothing to do with this. Nothing at all. We love Jason. My son loved Jason. What would, why would he do this? Yeah, he was a cousin. The jury sided with prosecutors who said that prior to his murder, Mizell sought to exclude Washington from a multi-kilogram narcotics transaction. In retaliation, the prosecutors convinced the jury that Washington and Jordan conspired to murder and ultimately kill the rap star. His family says they're relieved that the people who murdered their loved one will finally be punished. We suspected uh, very early on, you know, from... Um, uh, conversations that people were that were close to, you know, my cousin, close to the studio, close to that whole uh, 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 group of people. Yes. Yeah, so the defense saying there's a lot of holes in this case. No gun was ever recovered. They prosecuted it, of course, years after the crime. U.S. Marshals had to step in after the verdict was read after shoving and pulling erupted in the courtroom. Everything eventually calmed down. And here's Jam Master Jay's family who says this brings just a little bit of closure. Jason himself was an amazing talent. Um, life ended far, far too um, soon. Um, and I'm, I'm just glad that um, justice was uh, served. WABC News Time 509. My good friend, Curtis Sliwa, who would probably hate the fact that I'm calling him my good friend. Uh, so I'll keep doing it. My good friend, Curtis Sliwa, 
uh, you know, he walked around doing this thing uh, uh, with Mayor Adams where he held up a milk carton. Remember back in the day they would put missing kids on the side of milk cartons, pictures of them to help find them? This is, you know, pre-internet days. So he was walking around a Brooklyn neighborhood recently with Mayor Adams' picture on the carton of, the mil- you know, on the side of a milk carton asking where's the mayor when it comes to the migrants and a whole bunch of other issues. And it's amazing how Curtis can get under the mayor's skin and how these stunts actually get back to City Hall. Now, you would think if you were the mayor, you wouldn't respond to this, but he continues to respond to Curtis's hijinks. So last night there was this town hall meeting, and during that town hall meeting, the mayor brought up these milk cartons. And I don't think anybody in the audience even knew what he was talking about, but here's what it sounded like, and here's a little bit of Curtis and doing his milk carton thing on the streets of Brooklyn. I was wondering, and many Canarsie residents are also wondering, um, of the possibility of a ferry um, to be in Canarsie. It's, uh, the, I remember there was a demonstration. Someone had a milk carton saying, where's Eric? Yeah, right. So there he is. He knew about the milk carton. Uh, and, uh, of course, he has to mention it. But And nobody there probably has any idea what he's talking about. Who's with that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, act like I'm disappearing, you know, <laughs> missing. I'm here because of the shootings. But have you seen this man here? Right, Eric Adams. Was he here today? No. I didn't see him today. Did you see him? Did you see him here today? No, I didn't see him today. Did no. anybody see him? Nah, here? Okay, so whoever put that milk carton up that had me missing, tell them. Stay <laughs> <laughs> in the Hamptons. Stay in the Hamptons, Mr. Uh, Eric. It, it is amazing how he continues to get under the mayor's skin. You think he would just ignore him? He won the race. He's mayor, but he can't help himself. Five eleven. The relationship between D.A. Fannie Willis and the special prosecutor in Donald Trump's election interference case in Georgia getting testy yesterday. The former divorce lawyer for prosecutor Nathan Wade was compelled to testify about when Wade's romantic relationship began with D.A. Fannie Willis and past statements he made. You tell lies about your friends about a case of national importance. Objection, that's to could have. I don't know. Terrence Bradley once again told the court he did not remember exactly when their romantic relationship started. Lawyers for Wade and Willis claim their relationship began after she appointed him to the case. But lawyers for Trump and his co-defendants say it started before the appointment and that she benefited financially because of that appointment. So you told me that they took many trips to Florida. Now refresh your memory. Told me that. Was that based on your knowledge from Mr. Wade? That would have been based on anything that my client would have told me. Yeah, Terrence Bradley looked like he wanted to get off that witness stand. Jenny, you're an officer of the court, correct? I am. And you're under oath today? I am. Is there any of your testimony from today or the previous days that you want to correct? That I want to correct? Yes. No, I told you everything that you've, I've answered, everything that you asked. Yeah, that case continues today. 513, let's go over to Louisiana, where there's a manhunt in southeast Louisiana for a murder suspect who escaped from custody. Leon Ruffin was being transported from a hospital near New Orleans to jail when he faked an injury, then somehow was able to pepper spray 
a Jefferson Parish Sheriff's deputy when she tried to help him. This animal took control of the situation uh, and took advantage of, of her uh, trying to be a nice person. Sheriff Joe Lapito there says that Ruffin stole the deputy's car. He sped away. The car's been since recovered, but they're still looking for the 51-year-old. He was charged back in November with the murder of a longtime friend. If found guilty, that carries a mandatory life sentence. There's now a $5,000 reward for his capture. And so far, they have no idea where he is. Sometimes stuff happens. Uh, sometimes it's not perfect. Uh, we certainly are going to do what we can to get him back in custody. Yeah, either way, of course, it's embarrassing for the police in Louisiana. Tell him enjoy his time out for a little bit because he won't enjoy it uh, for the rest of his life that he's going to be in jail for his original charge. Yeah, but for now, he is on the run. 514, let's go down to Washington. President Biden meeting with congressional leaders as a government shutdown deadline inches a whole lot closer. Congress is responsibility from the government. we got to get about doing a shutdown would damage the economy significantly. House Speaker Mike Johnson, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, and House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries were all at the White House to discuss efforts to keep the government funded past March 1. Also, we need to, uh, we, we need to, in terms of supplemental, we need to deal with the Israeli portion. But that also contains a significant portion having to do with humanitarian assistance. Yeah, okay, so there was a post White House press conference. Uh, Biden, of course, thanking everybody for coming to meet together to get something done. I want to hear from the group and uh, I want to hear from all of you here. So thank you all for coming. That's what we're going to be talking about. All right. Thank you. So we're going to get some post-press uh, conference reaction for everybody who took part in that meeting at the White House in a moment. But first, 515, let's head over to the 77WABC Sports Desk. Happy Hump Day. Good morning, Justin Allen. Happy Hump Day. Good morning to you, Noam Layden. Starting here on the uh, hardwood at the Garden last night, the Knicks lost a bad one at home. To the New Orleans Pelicans, final score 115-92. to 92. Dante DiVincenzo led the Knicks with 23 points, and Bojan Bogdanovic added 20 off the bench. Jalen Brunson with neck spasms and Isaiah Hartenstein with uh, an Achilles issue did not play for the Knicks, who are still without stars. Julius Randle, OG Ananobi, and Mitchell Robinson. The Knicks managed to get uh, as close as seven points exiting the third quarter, but an early fourth quarter, fourth quarter surge, I should say, from New Orleans put New York away for good. In Orlando, the Nets didn't fare much better against the Magic, losing by a final 108-81. Last night, Dennis Schroeder led the Nets with 15 points in his third start with the team. Trendon Watford had 14 points and 7 rebounds. Brooklyn forward Mikkel Bridges, playing in his uh, 450th consecutive game, was held to 4 points, his lowest scoring output of the season. He's never missed a game in his five NBA seasons. He did not score in the first half and shot two for 14 for the game, missing all seven of his three-point shots. What's the record? Do we know? I don't. That's, that's I, a lot. That's a lot, years. especially in this day and age when guys are just taking off every you know every Tuesday and Friday night to you know rest, rest or whatever right. or load management is what they call it. But yeah, hmm. I mean, I I don't know. I'll check on that. I don't know what the record is, but it's. Uh, it's got to be some, I, I would think, somewhere in the uh, in the thousands. I would I would venture to say. Yeah, that's amazing, Maybe, right? Yeah. But that 450 still a big number for uh, Bridges. Did not score in the first half. Shot two for 14 for the game, missing all seven of his three pointers. Uh, losing for the fifth time in six games. The net shot 39.2 percent. Finished with 22 turnovers. Nobody has beaten Cal Ripken's record in baseball, have they? For the most consecutive no, games. No, yeah. no, 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 no. It's not going to get beaten. That's. That is, uh, that's going to stand for a long, long time. I mean, in my opinion, at least. 
Out in the NHL, Nome, Nico Heischer had a goal and three assists. Jack Hughes added a goal and two assists, and the Devils beat the Sharks 7-2 in San Jose last night. New Jersey scored seven straight goals after falling behind one to nothing and improved to 16-10-2 on the road. The Devs, who had lost three or four, sit five points back of a playoff spot. Bratt, Ball, Miller, Smith, and Mercer also scored for New Jersey. Timo Meyer had two assists in his return to San Jose as the Devils rebounded from a 4-1 home loss to Tampa Bay on Sunday. Looking ahead to tonight on the ice, the Rangers return to action at home, set to face off with the visiting Columbus Blue Jackets at 7 p.m. and down at MLB Spring Training today. If you're interested, the Mets host the St. Louis Cardinals for a 1-10 p.m. First pitch. That's Sports No, man. I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. WABC News Time 520 in D.C., a meeting between the top leaders in Congress to stop this government shutdown that could begin March 1. They all met at the White House yesterday. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer claims history is watching as funding for Ukraine's fight against Russia remains uncertain. It's all part of this bill. Ukraine was one of the most intense. I have ever encountered in my many meetings in the Oval Office. Meanwhile, House Speaker Mike Johnson saying securing the border is the number one concern among Republicans. Uh, takes president over spending bills involving Ukraine and Israel. The first priority of the country is our border and making sure it's secure. I, I believe the president can take executive authority right now today to change that. And I told him that again today in person, as, as I've said to him many times. And Johnson says he's hopeful Congress can avoid a shutdown. We're very optimistic. I, I hope that the other leaders came out here and told you the same. We believe that we can get to agreement on these issues and prevent a government shutdown. Yeah, I think good sign that they all met at the White House yesterday. Texas Senator Ted Cruz slamming the president's visit to the border tomorrow, saying it's nothing more than a photo op. The president's going to be in Texas uh, tomorrow uh, visiting the border, the U.S.-Mexico border. Joe Biden and the Democrats deliberately broke this system. They caused the highest rate of illegal immigration in history. The president's going to be in Brownsville. Uh, also, former President Trump, he's going to be in Eagle Pass on the same day. Uh, Cruz predicts if Trump is reelected, the rate of illegal immigration will drop. And he says that's because the Republican front runner will enforce the laws that are on the books. Nobody in South Texas can defend what's happening at our border. There aren't Democrats who can defend it. Nobody who has a, an IQ above room temperature is going to believe the Democrats' latest blame that, oh, the border crisis is Republicans' fault. And the president's visit tomorrow comes as a new poll indicates that illegal immigration is the top issue right now among voters. The Monmouth University poll concluded that many voters consider the matter a very serious problem. Eight in ten Americans across party lines see illegal immigration as at least a somewhat serious problem. Ninety-one percent of registered Republicans consider it a very serious issue, compared with 58 percent of independents and 41 percent of Democrats. On March 5th, one-third of all available delegates will be handed over to winning candidates in 16 states and American Samoa. I'm Phil Hewlett. WABC News Time 522. Let's head down to Florida, where this measles outbreak just grows larger by the day. Uh, kids who haven't gotten the measles shot coming down with the measles. I mean, usually it's okay if you get it. Uh, here are some people, you know, saying, hey, probably should get the shot. We estimate that the immunity in children under five against measles is less than 95 percent currently in florida so about one in a thousand cases of measles can result in a brain infection or death the cases in broward county uh, florida tied to an elementary school and the polk case polk county involves an adult who's in his 20s it is so effective that most doctors under 
60 years of age in the United States have never seen a case of measles. Yeah, but uh, people aren't getting the shot like they used to. It is only February, but the sea surface temperatures in the Atlantic Hurricane Alley are already hitting summer levels. And that could be bad news for like a really intense storm season. Brian McNoldy, he's a senior research associate at the University of Miami, calls the early season heat exceptional. We've kind of fast-forwarded by three months or so. The ocean looked like it's already the start of hurricane season, and it's not. We've just never seen the ocean this warm before for this time of year. McNulty says if warm temperatures continue into hurricane season, the region could see above-average number of extreme storms, and the activity could begin earlier than June. That will, once again, probably have an impact on our coral and all the other life that's very dependent on the ocean not being too hot. But in general, having a very warm Atlantic, we definitely need to just be paying attention to the hurricane season. The oceans in general around the world are warming. So that's definitely the climate change piece of this. But we're coming up on one full year of record-breaking warmth in the North Atlantic. Yeah, that warmth awfully early. 524 students at a middle school in Beverly Hills facing disciplinary action for allegedly circulating AI-generated nudes of fellow students. Beverly Hills superintendents and school officials have swiftly launched an investigation. We will be looking at the appropriate discipline so that uh, students understand that there are consequences and accountability for their actions. It happened at Beverly Vista Middle School, where the mother of one student claims many girls targeted. She called the incidents frightening and a form of bullying that should be punished. School districts aren't known for uh, having to advocate and to work with our congressman to to just get the laws to change. But the the safety laws are clearly being outpaced by the technology that we have. It's very scary, scary because like people can't feel safe to like, you know, come to school. They're scared that people will show off like explicit photos of themselves. Unclear how many students were victimized there in Beverly Hills. Kellogg's CEO, Gary Pilnick, getting a lot of pushback. He says people should eat cereal for dinner to save money on soaring food costs amid inflation. He told CNBC last week that it's much more affordable and helps out when consumers are under pressure. Now, I didn't know this, but Kellogg's has had this campaign for a couple years. It says skip the chicken or give chicken a night off and eat cereal. Uh, here's part of that campaign. When I say cereal, you say dinner. Cereal. Dinner. Cereal. Dinner. I mean, I know I love nothing more than a bowl of cereal for dinner because I don't have it in the morning. But uh, some people are really angry at the Kellogg's CEO for suggesting that you should give chicken the night off and have a bowl of cereal. Netflix saying they may raise prices now next year. That's according to analysts at UBS Securities. Analysts wrote in a research note that they expect to see a price hike from the streaming giant. That, along with more revenue from its ad-supported tier and more subscribers, would push its total revenue growth to 15%. That estimate is compared to just 7% growth in 2023. I'm Trey Thomas. John Stewart mourning the loss of his dog Dipper. During his return to hosting The Daily Show, the New Jersey native broke down when honoring his dog, a pit bull who died just the night before. And uh, in a world of good boys, he was the best. Um... He used to come to the Daily Show every day. He was part of the OG Daily Show dog crew. Boy, my wish for you is 
one day you find that dog, that one dog, it just is the best. Yeah, uh, he adopted Dipper at from a dog uh, rescue organization after he had been hit by a car in Brooklyn. It was hard to watch. Uh, uh, you know, you lose. It's like when you lose a dog, it's like losing a family member. The opening bell it rings this morning after stocks closed mixed on Wall Street yesterday. Markets struggled for direction after new data showed a larger than expected drop in durable goods in January. So at the closing bell, the Dow lost 96 points. S&P 500 rose eight. The Nasdaq gained 59 points. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 532. Good morning. It is Wednesday, February 28th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center showers. On and off throughout this day. Going to be warm, though. The high 59. And then tonight, overnight, clouds, chance of more showers. The temp falls, though. The low going to be 39. And then tomorrow, more winter-like weather. Sun and clouds, high 44. If you're walking out the door with us right now, so happy you are. 52 raining in Valhalla up in Westchester County. 57 and cloudy in my hometown of Trenton, New Jersey, as we used to like to say, Trenton. And it's 50 and misty here in Midtown. We'll start this half hour on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, where new rules are going to be implemented today at Barnard College, telling students to remove messages from their dorm room doors amid allegations of anti-Semitism at Barnard and Columbia University. So an email went out to students in the last couple days that say you can't put anything longer on your front doors, especially stuff that is offensive. The response on campus has been pretty mixed. I agree that students absolutely should have freedom of speech, but I understand that polarization can be very harmful to students as well. It's definitely overstepping. Uh, Students are really dissatisfied with the administration um, about how they're handling uh, our right to free speech and our right to protest. The Dorn signage ban is connected to, or looks like it's connected to, what has happened on the campus since the October 7th Hamas massacre inside Israel. Some Jewish students on campus say they've been spit on, they've been hit, and they've been attacked. And they say some of that is connected to what's happening on both of these campuses and that the administration has let this happen too freely. Uh, Attorney Mark Kasowitz says the banning of the Durham signs won't do a whole lot to address what he says are systematic issues of anti-Semitism on Barnard's campus. This is just like, you know, avoiding the problem. The problem is that Jewish students are being harassed and intimidated on the campus of these supposedly elite universities, Columbia and Barnard, and they're not lifting a finger to do anything about it. A group of Jewish students from Barnard and Columbia filing a lawsuit against the campus saying that they've been physically assaulted, spat at, threatened, subjected to relentless intimidation, vilification. That's what the complaint reads. The new norm decor rule will be in response into that law, will be part of the response to that lawsuit. And um, students say, well, uh, you know, I guess they'll just have to follow the rules. There's a lot of emotions involved and people want to stand up for what they believe in, but I think the administration just 
wants to kind of neutralize this as best they can. School did not say what repercussions students could face if they don't adhere to this new policy. After a series of well-publicized crimes allegedly committed by migrants, Mayor Adams says he may now want to update laws that make New York a sanctuary city. The mayor says migrants who commit serious crimes should be deported. And he says he wants now the city to communicate with ICE agents, which the city hasn't done in a long time. I believe New Yorkers should be safe and the migrants and asylum seekers that are doing the right thing should not be caught up with those who are not doing the, doing the right thing. So there's existing laws that prohibit the city to cooperate with federal immigration authorities, ICE, if a foreign national has been charged with a crime but not convicted. The city council probably won't go along with the mayor on this. They don't want to modify the laws, which were actually strengthened during the de Blasio administration. But a lot of everyday New Yorkers say the mayor's right, that it's time to update these sanctuary laws and to deport all those people who are causing chaos here in the city. They should put them away. Why have them on the street if they're doing violent crimes? Personally, I just feel like the mayor's on, on, the, on the right page. My safety and my husband's safety is very important to me. We don't know who these people are. I think it's a good thing to revisit. Um, obviously, if you're a violent person and you're committing crimes against other people. Of course, there's been a slew of high-profile crimes committed by migrants, allegedly so, in Times Square. An estimated 150,000 migrants have poured into the city during the border crisis, costing New York about $10 billion to care for them. WABC News Time 538. Let's go out to Queens, where the FDNY discovering dozens of migrants inside a Queens home yesterday. A neighbor actually tipped off officials about a collection of e-bikes in the yard at a home on Liberty Avenue on Richmond Hill. Uh, those batteries, of course, can be hazardous, and so hazardous rather. And firefighters went to investigate, and that's when they made the discovery. I just couldn't do it no more. All night long, people running in and out that building, that door slam. I have not got a wink of sleep. That's a neighbor. They discovered about 40 people inside this home crowded into the basement. Inspectors reported that people were actually sleeping in shifts to accommodate one another, and that maybe. 80 people were calling this basement home. Mayor Adams commenting on this during his press conference that he holds every Tuesday. Uh, there's some are going to attempt to do illegal housing. So we have an obligation with DOB, FDNY, and all of our services to respond and take necessary action. So, of course, the question is, where do these migrants come from? Were they bust here? How did they get here? Were they in the shelter system and then moved out? They're trying to sort that all out. The reality is with 180,000 people entering in the city also looking for housing uh, over 65,000 currently in our system of if we don't build more we're going to be building more problems yes yeah, so did the person who owned the house know that the migrants were there and as soon as we could find out exactly what happened that the owner of the i believe it was a furniture store uh, were they aware of it? We have to dig into and find out exactly what happened. And right now is real f- fresh. Yeah, I mean, amazing, though. 80 people potentially living in the basement of this building, sleeping in shifts. It's been a scary two weeks for Bronx commuters riding trains and buses. According to the NYPD, subway crime in the Bronx has skyrocketed 87 percent compared to the same time last year. We told you last week that Crime was up on the subways across the city, 22%. But 
87% in the Bronx. So that's clearly driving the numbers to combat the issue. Charlton DeSouza, president of the Presidents of Passengers United, says he would like to see more police visibly walking up and down the platforms and riding the train throughout the day. Enforcement is up across the board. We find ourselves far too often arresting the same individuals over and over and over again. That's Michael Kemper, who is chief of transit. He says those people should be locked up, maybe banned from the system. Three people are arrested for last week's deadly shooting on a D train. They were in court yesterday. The NYPD says there have been three murders in the transit system so far this year, and that puts, you know, just New Yorkers on edge. I'm always alert, and should I need help or should something happen, I know exactly what to do. Well, I carry my mace. <laughs> And um, it's, it's terrible that people have to, you know, do things like this. Stay aware, watch my surroundings, you know, um, try not to interact too much. I have seen some really crazy stuff. So the NYPD says it's responded to this spike in crime by putting about a thousand new cops into the system every single day. A thousand extra ones, I should say. I wish people wouldn't mind their business as much. And, you know, with more people, the better it can be. You know what I mean? to help other people, you know, instead of making believe they don't see blinders. And when you talk to riders, they're aware of exactly what's going on. And they also saying these repeat offenders who commit crimes, then let out to commit them again, should be banned from the system at least for a year or so, if not for life. 500 could have been enough if they spread them out. They all stand in one spot talking. It's impossible to have the amount of security that we need that they're trying to put out in these stations. It's just never enough. Yeah, that may be true. 542. Big change coming to one of the biggest fast food chains in the nation. Wendy's is set to test surge pricing. So the cost of your burger would change depending on the time of day that you showed up at your fast food joint. Wendy's is the country's second largest burger chain. There's 6,000 locations. They're starting next year. The menu prices will fluctuate during the busiest times of day. So think sort of like Uber or Lyft. If you call during a rainstorm, the prices are outrageous. But if you call at a different time of day, the prices are actually sometimes kind of low. Well, apparently Wendy's wants to try out the same idea. So your Baconator could be five bucks at lunchtime, but could be three fifty if you come at four in the afternoon. But when you talk to Wendy's customers... They find it all a little confusing and they're upset by it. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair. Okay. Historically, companies just set one price that was a constant across time. Pricing algorithms will allow companies to change prices throughout the day. And uh, as some have pointed out, in fact, Frank Morano was talking about this earlier this morning, that, you know, the reason they have happy hour is because bars don't get a lot of business between four and five or five and six. And so they offer drinks at a discount. So why shouldn't Wendy's do the same thing? Wendy's CEO announcing his company will spend about $20 million on high tech digital menus that can update the prices in real time. So it's not like you when you go in, you won't know the price, which you know, some people say that's good because you could save a lot of money if you go at the right time. Others say it's a little too confusing for them. I think I'll try somewhere else. I assume that it's a, like a trick just to make a few more dollars during lunchtime because everybody needs to right away get something. 
tweet. Yeah, so before it even takes effect, the new surge pricing, as you hear, getting sort of a frosty reception. See what I did there? Well, from people all over uh, social media saying that they just want it to go away. But Wendy says, no, they're going to try this out beginning in 2025. All right, 545. Let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk where we find Justin Ellis. Thank you, Noam Layden. Start here on the hardwood at the Garden last night. The Knicks lost a bad one at home to the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. Final score, 115-92. to 92. Dante DiVincenzo led New York with 23 points, and Bojan Bogdanovich added 20 off the bench. Jalen Brunson with his neck spasms, and Isaiah Hartenstein with his Achilles issue did not play for the Knicks, who are still without starters. Julius Randle, OG Anunoby, and Mitchell Robinson. Uh, the Knicks managed to get as close as seven points exiting the third quarter. But an early fourth-quarter surge from New Orleans put New York away for good. they got to get healthy. Out in New Orlando, the Nets didn't fare much better against the Magic, losing by a final of 108-81 to last night. Dennis Schroeder led the Nets with 15 points in his third start with the team. Trendon Watford had 14 points and seven rebounds. Brooklyn forward Mikel Bridges playing in his 450th uh, consecutive game was held to four points, his lowest scoring output of the season. Bridges, who has never missed a game in his five NBA seasons, did not score in the first half and shot two for 14 for the game, missing all seven of his three-point shots. Losing for the fifth time in six games, the Nets shot 39.2% and finished with 22 turnovers. In the NHL, Nico Heischer had a goal and three assists. Jack Hughes added a goal and two assists, and the Devils beat the Sharks 7-2 in San Jose last night. New Jersey scored seven straight goals after falling behind 1-0 and improved to 16-10-2 on the road. The Devils, who had lost 3-4, set five points back. Right now of a playoff spot, Brat, Ball, Miller, Smith, and Mercer also scored for New Jersey. Timo Meyer had two assists in his return to San Jose. The Devils rebounded from a 4-1 home loss to Tampa Bay on Sunday. Looking ahead to tonight on the ice, the Rangers return to action at home, set to face off the visiting Columbus Blue Jackets at 7 p.m. And if uh, MLB spring training tickles your fancy today, the Mets host the uh, St. Louis Cardinals for a 1.10 p.m. first pitch. That is Sports Noam. And I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. Let's catch you up on some of the big stories of the morning. Donald Trump, the winner of Michigan's primary last night. Trump easily defeating his main rival, Nikki Haley, 68 to 26 percent. But Haley last night vowing to stay in the race, arguing both Trump and President Biden are unpopular among most Americans. Insiders continue to say in her campaign that they think it's possible President Trump could cave under the weight of his lawsuits. President Biden, meanwhile, won the primary, but a significant number of voters casted an uncommitted ballot to protest his handling of the Israel-Hamas war. Many in the Arab-American community, it has one of the, Michigan has one of the largest Arab-American populations, uh, had said that they put the president over the top in Michigan back in 2020 by some 10 percent. And so they wanted to get 10 percent of Michigan voters to vote uncommitted as a protest for the president's handling of the Israel-Hamas They say he's favoring Israel too much. And they got that last night. In fact, they got more. So Biden got 80 percent of the vote last night, but 13 percent of Democratic voters voted uncommitted in a protest over Biden and how he's handled the war in Gaza. Uh, There were some movements on the Republican side. Ryan Binkley, who you may not have known, but he was in the race on the Republican side. He dropped his campaign last night, endorsed Donald Trump. It is time and I believe it's God's will that we move forward as a nation. We have to. 
The Texas pastor businessman announcing the end of his campaign on Twitter, endorsing former President Trump. Binkley had been in the race, and you probably didn't know this, but since April of 2023, never gained any traction, enough support to earn a debate spot. So obviously that hurt him as well. You never want to throw cold water on when reporters are asking you if you might be in the race for something. In this case, it's flattering if somebody's thinking about putting you on their short list for vice president. So Senator Ted Cruz not throwing cold water on the idea that maybe he could be Donald Trump's vice president. He was at a town hall in Laredo where someone asked him, do you think Donald Trump will pick you as vice president? I'm not holding my breath. (laughs) Uh, I... uh, and not anticipating President Trump making that call. Cruz told the audience that he had a great relationship, working relationship with Trump when he was in the White House. He says the Senate passed the largest tax cut in a generation, so that he'd be flattered to be asked. I will tell you, when he was president, uh, I was his strongest ally in the Senate, and I worked hand-in-hand with him. And I'll tell you, I'm really proud of the policy victories that we won. We passed the biggest tax cut of a generation it unleashed economic growth the white house meanwhile slamming trump for suggesting black americans can relate to him because of his multiple criminal indictments former president was in south carolina late last week at an event for black conservatives and claimed black people like him because they see him as being discriminated against and the white house thought that was racist here's white house press secretary corinne jean pierre it is profane to compare the long, painful history of abuse and discrimination suffered by black Americans to something that is totally different than self-serving purposes. That's what we saw. Corinne Jean-Pierre also accusing Trump of trafficking in racist stereotypes. Let's bring it back to Brooklyn, a Brooklyn federal court jury convicting two men, Ronald Washington and Carl Jordan, in the 2002 shooting death of Jason Mizell. Of course, he's better known as Jam Master J of Run DMC. But today, today is justice for Mr. Mizell. And his family. That was a chief prosecutor in the case. Both men found guilty as charged. Jordan's mother says her son is innocent and being pegged with a crime that he did not commit. He had nothing to do with this. Nothing at all. We love Jason. My son loved Jason. What would, why would he do this? The jury sided with prosecutors who said that prior to his murder, Mizell had sought to exclude Washington from a multi-kilogram narcotics transaction. And they say in retaliation, Washington and Jordan conspired to murder and ultimately kill the rap star. His family says they are relieved now that the people who murdered their loved one will finally be punished. We suspected uh, very early on, you know, from... Uh, uh, conversations that people were that were close to, you know, my cousin close to the studio, close to that whole uh, 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 group of people. The defense saying, though, that no gun was recovered. They say they punched holes in what the prosecution's case was. The defendants immediately signaled their intent to appeal. But meanwhile, Jam Master Jay's family says this gives him a little bit of some a little bit of closure. Jason himself was an amazing talent. Um, life ended far, far too. Um, soon, um, and I'm, I'm just glad that um, justice was uh, served. All right, let's go down to Georgia, where that case can goes on with DA Fonnie Willis. The relationship between the DA Fonnie Willis and the special prosecutor in Donald Trump's election interference case in Georgia getting testy yesterday. The former divorce lawyer for prosecutor Nathan Wade was compelled to testify about when Wade's romantic relationship began with Willis and past statements that he apparently had made. You tell lies about your friends about a 
case of national importance. Objection, that's to... All right, overruled. I could have. I don't, I don't know. Terrence Bradley once again telling the court he didn't remember exactly when their romantic relationship started. Lawyers for Wade and Willis claim their relationship began after she appointed him to the case. But lawyers for Trump and his good co-defendants say it started before the appointment and that she benefited financially because of that appointment. So you told me that they took many trips to Florida. Now refresh your memory. Told me that. Was that based on your knowledge from Mr. Wade? That would have been based on anything that my client would have told me. You're an officer of the court, correct? I am. And you're under oath today? I am. Is there any of your testimony from today or the previous days that you want to correct? That I want to correct? Yes. No, I've told you everything that you've I've answered everything that you asked. That hearing will continue today. Let's bring it back home. Governor Hochul defending the New York State Legislature after it rejected a bipartisan independent commission's most recent congressional district map design. That means Democratic lawyers will redraw the map themselves. It's a different process than starting with from square one with nothing. It seems to me they're working off of what was presented to them and making some adjustments from what I'm seeing out there to those maps. Yeah, so the map has been redrawn three times since 2022 after the state's highest court ruled that a rendering was too gerrymandered in favor of Democrats. I'm anxious to have this uh, chapter wrapped up as soon as possible. I believe the legislature wants this wrapped up uh, within the next day or so. Uh, so, no, we're taking it very seriously. We're looking at it closely. And, and we'll finish this hour in the village of Babylon, out on Long Island, where they're considering a plan to stop people from feeding or harboring feral cats. It's amazing how people showed up to this town hall meeting last night. Mayor Mary Adams says the feral cat solution is dangerous in town. She says code enforcement officers were injured trying to stop a person who was feeding those cats. For the code enforcement officers, foot was run over because they had told her to please leave, you can't keep doing this. Plates of food and the plates are blowing into Southerns and the food is now not just staying on the street but going into Southerns. We've had raccoons come out in the middle of the day. We've had other animals come out. But you don't want to push up against animal rights activists. The mayor says neighbors have been complaining about a person feeding feral cats, specifically in Southerns Pound Park. Animal advocates are pushing for the village to implement a TNR, which is a trap, neuter, and release program. You can see there's the crowd here. We all, we all care. And I think it's important to allow the feeders to continue. It's a wonderful thing that they do. Yeah, these people say they should leave the feral cats alone. They really are suffering out there. And we would love for this to all go away. But the only way it's going to go away is if villages like you implement a TNR program. Yeah, so for now, they have that feral cat population that continues in the village of Avalon.